Welcome back to Two Jack Bros. And of course, if it's your first time, thank you for giving us a shot. Welcome to you as well. I am Sydney. I am sitting next to Ansley. Hello. And today our guest is none other than the Dalton Pruitt. Hello. Howdy. Howdy, Dalton. Howdy. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And of course, before we get started, I want to remind everybody to do all the things they do to show love to a podcast like, subscribe, rate, review, especially on iTunes. It definitely helps grow the show, and we're, t- we're trying to do that. Mm-hmm. We're trying we want to grow all the, the show. to join us. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Get them in here. Uh, we also have a Patreon that we'll be doing right after this. More on that later. Dalton. Hello. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm surviving, man. How, how you feeling? I'm, I'm, I'm surviving. Like Every now and again, I feel like I'm thriving. But then I like get bumped down to surviving, and I feel like that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where I am. I I exist. I I look in the mirror and I go, there, ah, there he is, still there. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Ansley? What are you doing? Thriving, surviving, or existing? Um, I'm surviving today. Surviving today? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I think I was thriving, and then um, you know, I got bumped last night. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, I didn't bump you down, did I? No. Just being with me? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Dalton, do you know what we do on this podcast? I, I don't, know. Yes. What, what do you do on this show? I, uh, I'll tell you, me and Dalton have chatted for a couple minutes, and I'm pretty excited about today's show. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, Dalton, so basically the premise of this podcast is we're trying to prove that people with a dark sense of humor, just like edgy senses of humor can still reach enlightenment, a.k.a. a higher consciousness. So what we do is we take our guests would be you through the process of enlightenment by opening up your chakras from the ground up. Okay. So that Ansley and myself, as well as the listening audience, we get to observe and laugh our way to our higher consciousness through you. Okay. Okay. I think I well, you've you picked a fine time to, <laughs> <laughs> to do this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, before, uh, I'll just let you know, everybody gets the same exact questions. Okay. All right. So Ansley. Yeah. Start us off. Dalton, what situation or experience did you learn the most information from? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this is is a tough one. I really got to think about this. Yeah, it would would be... um, it would be m- m- the very recent actually i had a mental breakdown and uh still i'm still learning from that but yeah that i mean that would be it was that and um you know i i guess when uh my dog died as a kid my beagle that my dad told me went to a farm and i believed him for a long time till i was an adult and realized oh, you know what a dog died. <laughs> I learned a lot from that. But uh no, I yeah. In I guess in December is when it hit. Uh I had lived my whole life not knowing that your dog died? That my dog died. <laughs> yeah. I, I did not know Mo the Beagle had died. And also uh I didn't know that I have bipolar one, uh Kanye. Oh and, nice. Yeah, the same as all Con- of the greats. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, come December, I uh, really went, they call it a manic episode, mania, and was became completely detached from reality for many, many weeks. And uh, it scared everyone. Uh, didn't scare me. I'll tell you this. <laughs> when you're in mania, it, I, I was invincible. I really thought like that nothing bad could possibly happen ever during this i was but i was like running around my neighborhood uh committing mild crimes uh some you know light breaking and entering as it were okay (laughs) well how about i ask i ask this question this way what do you consider heavy breaking and entering like smashing a window running in taking the playstation but for me i i had thought that my neighborhood had become part of some production a la the Truman Show. Oh, because I like as I'm when you go manic, you start looking for all the connections in the universe and clues and whatever. And so I, I live in a neighborhood and I live next to the the Kaufman Studios. 
So I saw that building and I said, oh, they're doing some fucking weird movie Andy Kaufman shit with the whole neighborhood. And so I thought like everywhere I went was part of it. And I just was like, if I saw a door open, like if somebody was in there doing construction or cleaning up, I would just walk in. I was like, I was like walking in going into basements, rummaging through trash. Like "Ah, there's no clues here. And then (laughs) (laughs) this is a dead end. The lead is the leads are weak on this one. (laughs) Oh, just another scared family. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were like tons of families who just saw me like walking around going, who is this guy? And I, I would just be like saying to myself like, ha, nothing here. And then, <laughs> and then just walk away. And so, uh, you know, along with that, uh, impulsively tweeting every insane conspiracy theory that I had, by the way, uh, shout out to tweetdelete.net. I was able to scrub everything with that one website, all the tweets. Oh, wow. So hopefully people will forget about they they won't they they'll never forget when I said Norm Macdonald faked his death and Shelly Miscavige was on a boat talking to Kamala Harris and, and Kamala Harris was fucking Bob Iger. Uh, <laughs> there was just, there was just I only me. know two of the people you just mentioned. Bob Iger's the CEO, was is the former CEO of Disney. I I had convinced myself that they were having an affair and that Disney was somehow manipulating global politics because of that. Uh. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that old chestnut. That old chestnut. Yeah, but the thing you know, the, talking about like learning from it is in the mania. Uh, I could not accept that there was anything wrong with me, and I I had a lot of people trying to help. Like I had people reaching out and telling me, "I think you're sick," and I'd be like, "Fuck you! You don't know what sick is." And I'd just be I was so fucking mad, and and then I had I had a. Uh, my dad actually flew up here because he was he thought I was gonna get killed, and so it was like my dad and some friends uh, made it to where I had to go. You know, the the cops got called on me, so I had to go to an inpatient facility in Westchester all through Christmas. And during this whole time, uh, through the mania, even coming out of it, it was hard for me to accept that there was anything wrong with me. And then, like once I finally came back to Earth. Uh, I just got hit with this wave of guilt and shame mm-hmm. and depression. And uh, I think what I learned is that uh, people do care about me, <laughs> and I push them away. And um, I, it's been an exercise in empathy and kindness because I've still been so angry and bitter because of the things I lost during that episode. You know, I had people make decisions about, the show I was doing and all this other stuff, not for any other reason than I was like unfit to work with. And they didn't know if I would ever come out of it and, uh, coming out of it. I I've learned, uh, a lot about just pay. I don't know. Trust and kindness, empathy, compassion. People showed me compassion and I turned them away during that whole episode. And, I don't know if it's my fault because that's the illness, but it is something I have to be aware of moving forward that if people are like reaching out to me in any way regarding like a perceived mental health thing, I should probably listen to them instead of telling them to go fuck themselves. I mean, is that, would Kanye do that? Kanye? No, <laughs> Kanye would not do that. Cause he quit taking the lithium. That's the thing is, you know, they put me on, they took me off Lexapro. I was on way too high a dose and they put me on lithium and now I'm not manic. I'm just, uh, you know, just kind of sad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, Anthony, do you have any questions? Um, had you been, you'd been on, like, had you struggled with depression and you'd been on um, medicine for that growing, like up until this point? No, I, I, um, prior to moving to New York, I had seen a psychiatrist in Fort Worth where I was living and she put me on this like cocktail of medications like Prozac, Lamictal, Latuda. And I got up here and I was taking it and it was making me feel like shit. So I took, I stopped taking it and then I was fine for a while. But then when the pandemic hit, I just, you know, like a lot of people, I got really depressed. And so I found a psychiatrist over zoom and, (laughs) uh, she, after, I don't know if y'all have ever talked to a psychiatrist, but they suck. 
most for the most part i don't i don't really understand mental health care because you got the psychiatrist and you got therapists the therapist will talk to you but they don't give you any medication and then the psychiatrist is the one who determines what medication you should take but they only talk to you for like 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and they go all right so based on this conversation i think you should take this and so i talked to her and she said wow you sound really depressed uh, normally, uh, the highest dose of Lexapro I would give someone is twenty, but you seem like really sad, so I'll get you're gonna. I'm gonna put you on twenty five milligrams. Yeah. And I was taking that for almost a you know about a year, and then turns out if you have bipolar, that's not the right medication to be on. And to be on twenty five milligrams on top of that, it was just it was a ticking time bomb, and it it went off. Uh, but yeah, I was only on it for like a year. Hmm. until my brain just went sideways just completely snapped yeah and when you came back was it the same as sudden or was it like kind of a slow unwind of like you realizing like oh wait i shouldn't be going into other people's houses and (laughs) these tweets are kind of crazy (laughs) (laughs) it was um it it was more like i i got because so i was in the inpatient for like nine days and they let me out, and and the, the, these inpatients—they're not good places. They just kind of, they're kind of like holding cells for mentally ill and homeless. Mm-hmm. My my roommate uh, at the inpatient was a homeless guy who calls it, he calls himself New York. I was like, "What's your name?" He goes, "I'm New York." And I was like, "Really?" He goes, "Well, name's Leroy." <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not a good place, and I, I I like fought my way out of there. I talked to the doctor. That was the craziest thing during all of it. Is like I'm still there's still me in there. Still Dalton is somewhere in there, and I'm really good at bullshitting people if I need to, or I'm a good performer. Mm-hmm. So like when I got in the room with the doctor and the social worker, I was I was like I shouldn't be in here. I was like. Very com- convincing, I guess, because they, they were like, all right, well, we're going to give you like three more days and then discharge you. And I was like, thank Christ, I can't be in here any longer. But that I probably should have been in there for like weeks because I got out and now <clears throat> I'm, t- I'm off the Lexapro on the lithium. But now on top of the mania, I'm having Lexapro withdrawals. And, and so... I, and I still didn't realize how sick I was. Like, everyone that was reaching out to me, even after, I, I was like, you don't know what the fuck... I was never fucking sick. I should have never been in there. Fuck you. Fuck off. All that. And uh, and then one day, uh, sometime in February, I just was laying in bed, and it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, shit. Shit. <laughs> shit. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, I've been doing what I can since then to make amends. I still have been dealing with like emotional stuff. I've been very angry and bitter towards people uh, because I've, I've it's it's all been confusing. And I'm I'm at a place now where I don't I don't want to be well. I can't I don't want to be angry. And if I keep showing anger toward people or showing it publicly at all, that's just gonna it keeps pushing people further and further away. So, you know, the lesson here is is that. <laughs> Uh, no matter, even in the worst moments, uh, it's important to be nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I got, I got two ridiculous questions. Yes. Uh, one, was there ever a time where you were doing this light breaking and entering that you were in somebody else's house and you start sending a tweet? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I didn't do that. No, it was like, it was two worlds. It was like when I was in my apartment, it was like in my mind, uh, boots on the ground journalism like i would be like <laughs> ah, ah, just all this crazy shit tagging people probably pissing them off yeah and uh and then i would go outside and that was like detective work i was like put the phone away <laughs> and then really go go investigate what's 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 happening cuz in my mind there was something was going on something was awry and it kind of i mean honestly during covid it didn't help like to everywhere i went it was like you need to have your vax card, mask on, and then to walk in and and like the person working there is not wearing a mask, and I'd be like, and they would tell me, "Can you put a mask on?" I'm like, "Well, hey, you're not wearing one. What is this? What's going on here?" Yeah, I, just, I would be like interrogate them. Like, what was what, this building? How long has this been here? <laughs> All right. So my other ridiculous question. When you were going into houses and you were looking for clues that this was all some elaborate production, 
if you would have walked into, let's say, this house and walked upstairs to this room and saw these lights in this room, would you have been like, I fucking knew it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Dude, I mean, at one point, I, I thought that I... <laughs> sucks, man. At one point, I thought Larry David had staged a coup against uh, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And there was an interim president that was Jerry Seinfeld with the vice president being Larry David. And I thought there was like a production studio somewhere in my neighborhood that had to do with that. And I was like, in my mind, there was like an internal logic to all of that. I was like, well, they're fucking, they're mega rich. They're, they're so wealthy and powerful. Maybe they could pull something like this off. I got to go investigate and see what's going on around here. And then that turned into this grand, even bigger conspiracy doing to do with like media corporations and CEOs. Where I was like, no, it's not them. No, they're the patsies. They're the fall guys in yeah. all this. The real, you know, the real uh, masterminds of all of this are like Jeff Zucker from CNN and Jason Kalar from Warner Media. I got really into media. Like I was really <laughs> studying how the media is structured. Like Bob Iger. All these different like CEOs and shit, and I, I was like, something's going on around here. This is all a production. And if I if I had, you know, at one point I walked into a place and like was in the basement of some building and walked into the security room and saw the TV with the everything, and I was like, ah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it is. I I feel like the odds were definitely not in your favor for not walking into a house where people do a podcast out of. You know what I mean? Like everybody yeah, does a podcast. Yeah, everybody's got like, yeah. or everybody's doing work from home. So everybody's got like camera set up. So yeah. like, yeah. Yeah. So it's very fortunate that that didn't happen. So uh, what we always like to have people do after explaining, of course, you know, the, the, the situation where they got the most information is, so how would you distill the information that you got into, you know, a couple sentences or so? <laughs> oh man that's that's a tough one the information i got from just the episode itself uh, from the from from the experiences that you referenced from the experiences how would i distill it mm-hmm. into a couple sen- well i'm still trying to wrap my head around it but i mean i i would say that when it comes to mania when you become detached from reality like that um i i think well First off, I mean, I'm happy to be alive. Mm-hmm. That's the big one, is no matter how bad this is, it's like, at least I didn't die. And um, after the whole experience, I, I mean, I would say that it's, it's, it is enlightening in a way. Like, I, I would say, like, I, I, I'm still going through it. I'm still dealing with the fallout from it, but I'm I'm grateful that... I got to have that experience young, mm-hmm. got to get it out of the way and that I can like move forward with a better understanding of who I am, you know, cause doing comedy and all that <clears throat> being in this world, wait, well, this, this, these are more sentences than you asked for. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. no, I just mean like being in this world, you kind of lose track of who you are because it, it's, there's so much uh, attention seeking and this desire to really succeed at this and so we were talking about this in the car, like my identity had become, I'm a comedian mm-hmm. and, uh, I don't want that for myself. Like I'm, I'm a person, I'm a human being who does comedy, right? Like it's my passion, but yeah. I don't want my identity to be wrapped up in entertainment. I think that's healthy. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I would say after all, after all is said and done, uh, I, I, yeah, I have a better idea of who I am, what my values are, how my brain works, and like what I need to do to live like a healthy, rewarding life moving forward. Awesome. That's I'm I'm glad you got that out of that. At least so far. At least I'm I'm glad that's something that you got out of that so far. And uh, so what we're gonna do now is we're gonna start the chakra opening process from the bottom chakra up. The bottom chakra just happens to be located in the butthole. Are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. All right. Ansley, open this man's butthole, please. All right. Dalton, how did you learn to overcome fear? Dune. <laughs> 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 
the the litany against fear from Dune. The, you talking about the book Dune? Yeah. Okay. Have you heard the? Here, let me. Pu- I gotta pull it up. Let me. Let me see. What's the litany against fear? I mean, besides that, uh, just a lifetime of um, trauma and grief and loss have really toughened me up. Uh, and then the, the you know the mania. I mean, what do I have to be afraid of now? I've yeah. I've gone through the worst of it. Well, let's let's see. What what is the 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 litany against fear? Uh, I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it has gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where the fear is gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Well, now when you say shit like that, Dalton. (laughs) 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 What is the book Dune? Should I be familiar with this? <laughs> well, it's, 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 the, it's the literary version of the movie Dune. Yes, okay. it's the novelization of uh, Dennis Villanueva's Dune. It's a, it's a like a speculative sci-fi fiction novel from like the 60s written by this guy Frank Herbert. I got really into it around the time of Skankfest. And I was running around on mushrooms saying, I'm the Muad'Dib of Skankfest. Because <laughs> that's what the, the main character, is, as the Messiah figure, is the Muad'Dib. Okay. But it's it's really just a, it's like a, a, a take on like the messianic tale. Like a, a twist on um, kind of what Christ was, but in the future on another planet. Okay. Okay. So, can you what what is uh can you remember a time when you were the most scared? The most scared? Mhm. I mean, <laughs> I you know, everything's so fresh with the uh, this what I went through. I mean, I've I've been just petrified lately because of all this. Like now would be the time. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, I mean, uh you know, there was there was a time in college when I I overdosed, and like when I came out of it, I was like having this like anxiety problem where I kept thinking, you know, oh, what if I actually did die, and now I'm just in hell, or this is a parallel Earth, or something like I was had, or just playing all the scenarios of having to think of my parents going to my funeral, and I was terrified for weeks because just go, going through like these traumatic events like that, like ODing or getting blackout drunk. That happened to me a lot. Like mm. I, you know, one time I blacked out when I came to, I was, I was like walking down the highway, had no idea how I got there, but like, you know, um, those would be the moments where I'm most scared when I just completely lose control of myself. When I have no, my faculties are gone and that that's how it was. Like with the mania, I was never scared. I was euphoric. I was. I felt like I was invincible. I was like, I have superpowers, or I'm like connected to the universe. And then like coming out of it and seeing what I had done to myself and my friends, that 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 is that is scary. It's scary to realize that that my brain can do that to me. Yes. And so that is like this is the most terrifying thing that's ever happened to me. Okay. And and are you are you are you overcoming that fear currently or do you feel like that fear is overcoming you currently? I'm working on it, you know. Um it's a it's a chemical thing. Mm-hmm. So like with with bipolar 1 and and coming out of a manic episode, uh I don't know how much of it is like my own thought process or how much of it is just recovering, you know, physically. And so I'm I'm doing what I can. I'm you know I, I wake up every day and I I go well I'm alive. That's step one. Yeah. Be alive. <laughs> the first step to overcoming fear, folks, is uh, be alive. <laughs> and and then I just take you know I take it day by day. I go you know time with time. Uh, I'll I'll get better and figure this out. Okay, I consider that a fear chakra unlocked. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. Ansley, move us along. All right, Dalton, this next segment is a section we like to call My Bad. It's a chance for you to apologize to a person, place, or thing in the universe in order to set your karma back to zero. How much time you got? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, first off, 
Uh, I'd like to apologize to Robbie Goodwin and Joe Gorman. Uh, sorry for uh, uh, losing my mind and being angry with both of you for uh, for what happened. Uh, I got apo- I apologize to my friend Matt Marin. He actually was a, a dear, dear friend during all that, and mm-hmm. I mostly screamed at him and fought him every step of the way. Uh, I, uh, I apologize to my parents. Said a lot of ugly things to my parents during that time. We're cool now, but hey, publicly now, I'm on a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Have uh, you found that people are more forgiving than you had expected, or more like? I don't know if that's a question I want to ask, but like, was it? Did it surprise you? Like the people that are still by your side after all that? I mean, I don't know who's by my side right now. I uh, it's it's an isolating experience, and I th- I think a lot of people are still unsure if I'm well. Yeah, and I'm not like to be honest, I'm not like completely well yet. Like I'm not all the way better, but I'm not manic. Yeah, and you know. I think for the most part, people do understand, especially in comedy, every, you know, any comedian who's been doing it a while has either themselves or had someone they know go through something like this. I mm-hmm. mean, we're all psychos. We're all crazy. Um, it just it just sucks in the moment because you realize like it takes time to rebuild trust and all that. Yeah. But I've, I've found that when I actually go out in public and talk to people... Uh, they they're more concerned than anything. I don't think I don't think anyone's like angry with me. I don't know if I've actually like burnt any bridges, but they're just like they don't know what happened. They don't understand it. It's it's a very tricky thing uh, dealing with all this, and so you know, um, I, you know, I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't I don't know how uh, understanding anyone is, but. For the most part, I th- I think people are just waiting to see if I'm actually okay. Okay, I feel like Ansley, as a mom, wanted you'd hear wanted to hear you be like, "My mommy, my mommy stood by me." <laughs> oh well, you yeah, know, my <laughs> my mom and dad. You know, I had not had um, a, a good relationship with my parents for a while. Like I had held on to a lot of like childhood trauma mm-hmm. and was had really begun to resent resent them especially like in calling them over the years it felt like we just weren't getting along well a lot of the time and i i've always struggled with like substance issues substance abuse and my dad drinks a lot and so it, it, it was creating this like discord between us that i was like trying to quit drinking and i haven't you know i haven't drank in almost a year now but uh but he would still get drunk and then after all of this, and I've I said the worst things imaginable to my parents, were truly reprehensible <laughs> in what I was saying to them. But the whole time they understood it. You know, it, it, they were scared. They they were it was upsetting them. My mom mm-hmm. cried a lot. But when I came out of it and like called them to make amends, they were very forgiving and they're very they're very good people. Yeah, I mean, well. First of all, that's awesome. I always love to hear when people have uh, parents that are in their corner like that. Uh, now, it, were were there more apologies that you wanted to make? Because yeah. uh, I felt like you were making such good headway. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt you. Sorry. I'm sorry to Luis J. Gomez. Uh, you really gave me a chance, and I, oh, boy, did I blow it. Sorry to all of Gas Digital. I know I was... Oh, I, we we were recording that show there. It was a delight, and now the it's all crumbled. Um, who else am I sorry to? Sorry to the fans, people who like me. You really saw you saw me really uh, crash and burn there. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, my friend. I don't know if you. I don't know if you know her, but my friend Cassie. Sorry, Cassie. I was I was a cunt to you. I think I called her a cunt during the. <laughs> I, think, I think I actually just called her. I, I was literally a cunt to yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> I was. You know, I was literally a cunt to you, and I'm sorry I treated you poorly. Uh, sorry to the the Jewish doctor that I called a, a slur uh, and told to go back to Israel. First of all, if you're a doctor, you should be able to handle all slurs. <laughs> he actually he did handle it well. Like I called him what you. Probably think I called him the N word. The N word. <laughs> a Jewish N word. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the Jewish N word. 
and um, he just was like, he just said, well, you're definitely a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the way doctors tell you that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, the other funny thing is I, I still had boundaries during all that because I was like, I told myself, I was like, I know he can handle being called uh, a slur, they got but it. then... But then the the security guys were all black, and I was like screaming at them. And one of them said, "I know what you want to call me." And I said, "I bet you do, but I can't say it." <laughs> and, the, and the doctor was like, "Yep, definitely a comedian." <laughs> no, I just feel like that's part of a doctor's bedside manner. They have to be able to absorb yeah. slurs. Yes, like Kirby. Yeah. If, I, if you call a doctor the N word, he becomes black. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so uh, Dalton, I, first of all, I really appreciate uh, that you did that, those apologies. I mean, I know, I know you're still in a little bit of a vulnerable state and some of what you might have done to even need to tell those apologies could still be fresh. And I just appreciate your candor. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. And uh, did you have, I mean, we can we can consider that a pelvis chakra unlocked unless you have anything more you wanted to say on that. I think that that covers. It. I think those are the apologies. I'm I'm sure I'll end up apologizing more as I go on in <laughs> okay. life. Yeah. Uh, I would also like to congratulate you on setting the record for apologies on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ansley, move us along. All right. We are now to your gut chakra, Dalton. How do you over- overcome disappointment? How do I overcome disappointment and move through disappointment? Uh, Dune. <laughs> <laughs> What's the litany of disappointment? The litany, yeah, call your mother. That was what I was saying when I was manic to everybody. I was like, call your mom. I don't know why I kept saying that to everyone. I guess I needed to call my mom. But uh, <laughs> uh, getting through disappointment, um, I mean, the way I look at it is I'm very disappointed right now. Uh, I'm, I have been stripped bare and brought back down to, uh, zero or less than zero even. Um, but the way I think of it is as bad as things seem in this life, no matter how disappointed you are, uh, I've lived a pretty like privileged, blessed life. You know, I got parents that care about me. I got to grow up with, like, close friends. And uh, I got to come out to New York to really pursue my dreams. And I think the the main thing is, like, none of this, uh, you know, none of the uh, things that I think are disappointing are really that important. Like, I lost... uh, you know, a lot of favor in the comedy community during all this, lost the Patreon, trying to rebuild things, but none of that shit really matters if, if your health isn't there, if you're not, if, I mean, you know, like I said earlier, be alive. Uh, if you're not alive, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, the way I look at it is as long as I can plant my feet on the ground each day and keep trucking forward, I, I can move through disappointment. You know, I've, I've had plenty of ups and downs. I'm not, I mean, I'm not even 30 yet and I've <laughs> crashed and burned a few times and, uh, it's, it's always just like, well, I mean, I've been here before, so time to try again, try, fail, try again. That's why, I, you know, I keep telling myself, what is it? Winston Churchill said the, the only option you have when you're in hell is to move through it. Mm-hmm. So Maybe that's how I get through disappointment is uh, quotes, (laughs) (laughs) inspirational quotes. (laughs) And uh, he's a basic bitch. He's a Starbucks Uggs and quotes. Oh, dude. (laughs) Dude, I love quotes. Quotes have been really carrying me through all of this. I just find good quotes and I'm like, all right, all right, I'm going to be okay. That's a good quote. (laughs) Now, do you, can you think of a time when you've been, the most disappointed in yourself. And it could very well be from this time period that you're experiencing now. But uh, I always like to find out like, you know, were you ever part of like sports as a child or like, you know, theater productions or did you have any good disappointments there? Um, well I was in marching band and 
my I think it was my freshman year. Uh, so it was my first year doing marching band. I was so bad at uh, marching with a trumpet that they <clears throat> said, hey, for your first year here, let's not even have you march with the instrument. We're going to put you out on the back with a flag. And then this one part in the song, you'll just come out and twirl the flag and then go back. <laughs> <laughs> And that that really hurt. I was like, "Well, I I didn't. I'm not in the color guard. I didn't want to be the flag person." And even then, I was like, "I mean, I would like more to do." So that was disappointing. But then, you know, sophomore year, I was I was on the field trumpet, second part, baby. Hell yeah! Um, Did they bring you out with the flag during the trumpet solos? (laughs) It was well. I think it was like this number we were playing that was supposed to be based on the seasons. Okay. And so uh, there was just one part. We would just stand there with the flag, the whole uh, piece. And then there was just like four four or five measures during the whole thing where we would just come out and go, woo, (laughs) (laughs) and then just go back and just stand there. Were the other people with flags people that wanted to play instruments too? Yeah, yeah. It was was like just the deadbeats, the (laughs) second string marching band. (laughs) You were on JV marching I was a, band. I was a JV marching band, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the the other big disappointments would be any time I blacked out and, like, really made an ass of myself, that pushed people away every time, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, I, I would never know what I had done, and then I wake up and find out, and I got kicked out of a fraternity that way. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was a freshman in college, I was I I was so I drank so much trying to pledge uh, Sigma Phi Epsilon that they said they said you are drinking way too much and scaring everyone here, <laughs> and we can't let you be a part of this fraternity. You're partying too hard. Yeah, they they were like you're creeping out all the girls. We I, we can't rely on you. And your GPA is not good, and I'm like, what? What, what am I doing wrong? I, you're all you're all drinking. I think what you meant to say to me was chug. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's uh, yeah, again. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that. Definitely a disappointment chakra unlocked. Yeah, right. Uh, Ansley, keep it moving. All right, Dalton. We're at the heart chakra now. What have you learned from grief? Hey, what's going on, guys? We just got done doing Dalton's Patreon episode, and it was freaking awesome. You're going to love it. One dollar gets you all of the content. Patreon.com backslash 2JackBros, so you can come into our Patreon and absorb 2JackBros After Dark, our counter to the free podcast that you're watching right now. You also get Ansley's fight commentary and analysis on her jujitsu matches, for that $1 and anything else that we put up there, all for the low, low price of $1 a month. Dalton, did you have fun on the Patreon? I did. I did have fun. I'm having fun again. Hell yeah. (laughs) I'm learning how to have fun again. That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. And for $1, you can see exactly the kind of fun that Dalton had. Now we're going to get back to the show and find out what Dalton has learned from grief oh uh, that's that's a (laughs) that's a heavy question well last april uh my best friend got killed uh since childhood he um it you know it was a freak accident and it was very difficult up until, I mean, honestly, I think that was one of the reasons I went manic. Was I? He had died, and then I started like really uh, succeeding in comedy in a way. Like I was getting all this attention out of nowhere, and um, it was getting to me because all the all the whole time that I was like putting myself out there and building these new friendships and relationships with people, it all felt very empty and meaningless because I was carrying this grief with me the whole time. Now I didn't know how to like proper, like really deal with it because everyone around me is like such a clown that they just want to make light of it. And I'm fine with like 
making dark jokes and all that. But then after a while, I was like, it just started to really affect me that he was gone and just nothing around me felt like it had any meaning. Everything felt like I was distracting myself. And so then that leads to the mania. And so, I mean, what, what I've learned from grief is that everybody goes through it and it's it's just so different for everyone it, it's you know the, the thing that kept happening to me after he died was like a lot of people just kept t- saying to me you know we've all lost someone in that way they were like you know we've all lost someone you, you need to learn how to move on and uh that's i, I don't know that's tough I feel, I feel like with grief it's it's one of those things where you're allowed to be kind to yourself and to take as much time as you need to be sad about it, to like really work through it. And it's also a lesson in compassion and empathy and stepping outside of yourself. Cause like I, you know, as I've gone through it, you feel selfish dealing with grief. It's so consuming and you feel like no one understands your pain, but yeah, everyone has lost someone so people do understand to a degree. It's just what I've what I had to learn was how to like really step outside myself and try to be more compassionate toward other people. And you know, I at one point I volunteered at a soup kitchen, and that was really nice. And uh, I st- started going back to church actually. <laughs> Uh, I learned how to like re- reconnect with my own values because I, you know, I grew up in a very small religious town, and we all took care of each other. We were all very tight knit, and that doesn't exist in New York. New York is a, a den of thieves, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I had to learn how to, uh, yeah, just be a person again. Had I, I learned how to be human through grief. Where did you grow up? A little town called Springtown, Texas. Okay. Yeah. Little, uh, Familiar? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's got like 2,900 people in it. Yeah. Like, where is it outside of? Like, what? what is the big town, the big familiar Texas town that you, you reference? Fort Worth. Okay. okay. Fort Worth, Dallas, Fort Worth would be the next biggest towns. Okay. We lived in Euless for a year. Oh, I know Euless. That's a mid-city, they yeah. call it. Yeah. Why are you in Euless? I got a job in Dallas. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was right when we got out of school. Yeah, I, I used to drive through Euless all the time. Yeah. It, it's the town you drive through. <laughs> Not us. We lived there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we drove through Dallas and Fort Worth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then where'd you go to college? I went to the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. Okay. And then you moved up to New York at some point when you were following dreams? Yes, I graduated 2017, and then I came out to New York in 2018. I, the way you said that, <laughs> and you moved up to New York when you were following dreams. It's just like, yeah, pretty much. Know, something about the way you said that it's, it's me a, the wrong it's a, way. It's, like, sorry. it's a foolhardy decision, especially now after this, uh, after this whole manic episode. I'm like, I don't have the resources to survive at this point in this, in this big, big city like this. Yeah. 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 I think what you're talking like, what struck me when you were talking about grief is that I don't think as a, a culture we do very good talking about it or like relating to each other about it. Cause I found the same thing when people were like, oh, you can talk to me at any time about it. And I'd write like these overly emotional, you know, messages to them and like they wouldn't respond. I was like, oh, I guess they don't really oh, want to yeah. talk about it. You know? Like- yeah. People, <laughs> like a lot of people will give you every banal platitude yeah. and then and then once you actually try to act on it they're like whoa i, can't deal <laughs> I don't want to do that <laughs> do yeah, you not yeah, pe- have friends <laughs> I, I, yeah i i think people are I, I you know and i think like with covid and everything the way the world is now pe- people have gotten so disconnected from each other it's so hard to talk about these things now with other people because every everyone's fucked up right now mm-hmm. And yeah, grief, whether it's grief or mental illness or any of that, uh, those very difficult conversations to have with people. Mm-hmm. You good? I'm good. You good? <laughs> I'm good. Again, thank you for sharing yeah. all of that. That is a heart chakra unlocked. Unless there's anything more you wanted to say on the subject. I, I think that covers it. Awesome. 
heart chakra unlocked. Ansley, yeah. keep us moving. Dalton, now we're in the throat chakra. What is a favorite lie that you have told and you get extra karmic points if it's still in rotation? A favorite lie I've told? I don't know. I My problem is I'm too open. I don't, I, I have trouble lying to people. Uh-oh, we got one of these in the studio. I've, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. I guess my, I guess the best one is that uh, I can pay my bills. That's a good. <laughs> that's, a, that's one of my favorite lies. Is that I'm solvent. Yeah, yeah. I'm solvent and can actually afford to be living out here. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a lie now, but I I. You know, I didn't lose my virginity till I was 27, and so I used to just tell people like, "Oh yeah, I've had sex with women." How would you, <laughs> when you look back on the time that you were lying about having sex, did you describe it in a way that you look back now and you were like, "That was clearly a person who didn't have sex saying those things." Um, yeah, pretty much. It, it, it was like it was like that scene in 40 Year Old Virgin. It was like everybody would be talking about sex stories and whatever. And then I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I, boy, I love eating pussy. <laughs> it's awesome. And, but I always felt gross. I always felt like such a fraud. I, you know, I, and it, made, it was always so hard to like, actually like talk to women carrying that around with me. Like, God damn it. Uh, why haven't I had sex yet? And then women aren't going to want to fuck me because I have the stink of chastity on me. <laughs> did, yeah. No, when, when, you, when you did finally have sex was it with the person that knew you were a virgin no it was with a russian prostitute and they don't ask <laughs> no she she you know what she asked and i lied <laughs> i got nervous i was when, when she asked me i was like fuck what if i tell her yes and then she just tells me to leave it's one of those so that's probably the best lie I've told is after I paid for sex and was like, yeah, I've definitely, she was like, are you virgin? And I go, nah, I've just never like paid for it before, you know, this will be fun. Wow. You lied to a prostitute about being a virgin. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. That's going to go down in the history books for this podcast. Yeah. It's one of the best lies ever told. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, that's, a, that's a throat chakra unlocked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, Ansley. All right, we sorry, no, jumped on it. No, no, jump we on it. We are on the uh, third eye chakra now, so yeah. So we're out of the physical chakras, and now we're into the metaphysical chakras. Okay. All right. So, what is something that you thought was separate, but you're learning now that they are the same? It is the same. What? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> so, like two sides of the same coin type of question, like something in the past that you you thought were separate ideas or um, concepts, or you know things like I'm not trying to limit you, but like you know two concepts. But as you've gotten older, you've learned that they're really one and the same. I mean, well, sp- uh, speaking of metaphysical, I mean, I would say body and mind. You know, your your mind is way more uh powerful and tuned into your the rest of your body than you realize and i've learned that uh with the mania because like coming out of it well during during the mania uh i was having full on like physical reactions to like whatever was happening in my brain was affecting my whole body like my heartbeat was fucked up and i was having like auditory hallucinations and it was like it felt like I was having a stroke and then, but even now, now that I'm like more stable, uh, I, I have like all this, um, you know, guilt and depression from it, worry, anxiety, and I can feel it in my whole body. Like I can feel it affecting the rest of my body. Like it's just like this intense, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it like, I have to, I have to really like focus on like my breathing and my my own thought patterns and like really try and shift the way I think because it, like yeah it, my your my mind is having like a crazy effect on the rest of my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now have you ever considered or rather uh let me ask it this way how much have you considered working that equation from the opposite direction and what I mean by that 
is like doing something good for your body so that your mind feels better. Yeah. That, you know what? That's a good point. Like diet, exercise, all of it. Yeah. Body and mind are connected. And I was, a uh, you know, uh, I got really into drugs this last year, pot, mushrooms, acid. And on top of that, just never kept a healthy diet. And, uh, yeah, it caused my, not just my body, but my brain to deteriorate, just constantly punishing it that in that way. And so now I am more mindful about what I put in my body and what I do with my body, because I got to, you know, I got to make sure that I'm physically healthy and that my brain doesn't start telling me all the secrets of the universe again or, you know, lying to me about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, do you have a routine that you're putting your body through to ensure that that stays consistent? Oh, yeah. So, uh, no. <laughs> no i'm trying i uh, did you almost lie to us i almost did i'm 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 starting to like you know because i, I to coming down from that episode i just couldn't get out of bed for like a month mm-hmm. you know and i still like have trouble like really doing things but something i really focus on is uh eating kind of well like i try not to overeat and i try to make sure that i eat like greens and stuff like that get healthy food smoothies and a big one is water you know i I make sure i I drink a lot of water and good water too you know you got to make sure you get the minerals in the water like this right here this is uh you see that pure water that's just tap water right there aquafina that's just purified tap water but you go out and you get you a bottle of saratoga or perhaps a gerald steiner Mm -hmm. and they got it's rife with minerals, mineral content, and those are good for you. You want to know something? They put me Wait, on. Hold on. Uh, shout out to our sponsor, Aquafina. Sorry about what he oh, just yeah, said. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, uh, but yeah, go ahead. No, uh, this is something I've been like obsessing over is they, they put me on lithium for the bipolar. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started like thinking about it. I started researching. It turns out this lithium stuff, whatever it is, it's, an al- it's like an alkaline salt. They use as a mood stabilizer. It's it's in a lot of the water I used to drink in Texas. Like it, there's there's a I don't know how much. Like I'm not saying like hey if you're bipolar stop just drink water. Don't take the medicine. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um. But when I was when I was living in Texas, like I would drink it all the time. Whether it was in we had a, a Mineral Wells, Texas was close where I live. We got they make a water called Crazy Water. Mm. This is apt name for the water and that had a high lithium content and then there's all these you know like gerald steiner i just mentioned has it so it's like those minerals in the water are actually like they make a world of difference when it comes to water it's pretty interesting is there are there any side effects to lithium that happens to make texans texans uh i don't know I don't think so. I think the only side effect to lithium would be like renal failure. If you t- <laughs> wait, hold on one second, Ansley, what's the renal? It's your butthole. Yeah. No, no? it's like ki- ki- <laughs> that's anal. That's anal. <laughs> no, it's anal. it's like kidneys. Yeah, that's one of the things they that's one of the things they got to monitor if you're taking lithium is it can it can affect your kidneys. Uh. But uh, I mean, no, the the water in Texas is. I think it's just nutritious, so it keeps. <laughs> it's, nutritious. You know, it's nutritious water, and it, you know people don't want to leave. Texans don't want to leave Texas because you got the wide open spaces, and you got good water. You got a, uh, you know, Lone Star beer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, well, they do say. Well, the thing with mineral wells that the town mineral wells where crazy water is made, uh, there was a woman like in the 1800s who had dementia and she would drink out of this well in mineral wells. And it, uh, come to find out that when they started like looking into the water there, it had all this like lithium in it. And so it was like, they suspect that that well was one of the things that was keeping her from really going off the deep end. 
it's, a, it's pretty mineral wells texas mm-hmm. yeah. do you happen to know the lady's name um no no i think her name minerva wells <laughs> <laughs> all right well that is definitely a third eye chakra unlocked i like i love that answer body, body yeah. and mind i think that's the first time we got that answer i think so I you like know? It too. yeah i like that answer I mean, but, you know, of course, would have to have somebody who had Dalton's experience to even know how true that is. Yeah. Right? And uh, Ansley, move us along. Final question. This is your crown chakra. Uh, it's a two-part question. First part, one, please name one thing that you can't give up and why. And the second part is, what would giving it up mean? Oh, that's a good question. Well, I thought they were all good questions, but okay. They're all good. They're all good <laughs> questions. <laughs> now, I'm um, one thing I can't give up. Um, you know, I really struggle with because uh, I had to give up drugs after the mania, unfortunately. So I guess I can give that up. But the other one would be uh, uh, pornography. That's a tough one. Like you know, I know I should stop watching it. Oh, I thought you were. I thought you were making it. You're dressed like a porn director right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, yeah. I can't. I can't give up pornography, but I'm gonna have to because, you know, where are you gonna find uh, kids these days? (laughs) No. um, It took a second for Anthony to get that. Yeah, yeah. She's like, "Wait, are kids making the pornography? Are they watching it?" Yeah, I need stagehands. I need, I need a grip and a, a PA. Now, how crazy would that have been when you were light breaking and entering? Like you stumbled upon some weird child porn ring. Oh, dude, that was one of the thoughts I had. Was I was also like True Detective season one. I was like, I'm trying to find Carcosa. I was like, I'm, I'm about, I'm about to really blow the lid off of some deep, deep uh, conspiracy. That I don't know. Like, yeah. that, that was a, that was seriously, it, dude. It, it, oh, it's all very scary yeah. what happened. But yeah, I mean, it's um, porn's a tough one because it's just it's so you got it in your pocket now, not just your penis, but the phone. <laughs> you, could, you could use the phone to watch porn, and it's so accessible. And and nowadays people are so everybody's sucking and fucking uh, too much. I'd say. <laughs> It's consuming people's lives. And, uh, you know, I I find that there's really no value in it other than, like, temporary relief from some sort of worry or stress. So I I can assure you that it's been one of my few comforts coming out of the mania is just being like, well, if no one will actually fuck me because I'm crazy, I guess I could watch other people have sex. (laughs) But I, uh, you know... It's one of the. It's not terrible logic. It's not terrible logic, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, but it's one of those things. I think it's like it, it. It can be destructive to your mental state. Watching all this uh, disgusting porn, you know, slobbering and you know, you know, gaping holes. That's why I don't watch porn. By the way, <laughs> gaping buttholes make me very uncomfortable. They like, should, man. Yeah, when I when I see. A woman with a a hole that's like slightly agape. I'm just like she doesn't want that. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't. Her, her I do, choices led her down dude, that path. I don't understand the psychology behind it at all. I I yeah. you know when you see women in porn doing that to themselves, you just it's like, all right, well, I mean I don't know what happened. I don't know how you got to this point where <laughs> right? you you you're like, yeah, this is sexy. My ass is, I mean, you know, I'm incontinent. <laughs> <laughs> I have renal failure. Yeah, I, have renal, <laughs> I have renal failure yeah, from all the pain, sure. all the fucking know. pain pills I have to take yeah. to deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so what would giving it up mean for you? What would it mean? It, uh, it would mean, uh, well, I would, I would retain my seed, which is where your <laughs> spiritual energy is, you know, uh, semen is where that's your life force right there. But I, I think if I, if I gave it up, if I could like actually stop, uh, looking at it, it would just mean I could have a healthier relationship with sex and women in general. Same with, uh, you know, another one, same with social media. I got to, especially, you know, after the mania, I got to really figure out how to curb that 
how to get off yeah. the social media, get off the porn. Because, you know, they go hand in hand. Women on Twitter, they're always posting. These caping little, buttholes. Oh, caping <laughs> buttholes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, tech, yeah, I, I, I guess this would all fall under the umbrella of technology, internet, social media, porn. It's hard to give these uh, these comforts up and just be a part of life itself. Mm. Hmm. Now, we just to uh, compartmentalize this a little bit, like what would giving up social media mean for you? Um. Well, it would mean that I could retain your seed. I could retain <laughs> my seed. Yeah. No, it, it would probably it would it would be beneficial for my mental health, and it would help. I would. You know, it, it it's tough because, like, doing comedy for as long as I have and being in this world, it, like, social media becomes such a big part of it. But at, the, at this point, after everything that's happened to me, uh, if I gave it up, I could actually just live life and not have to worry about what other people are doing. Because, you know, prior to this, I wasn't... I was on there using it as like a utility, mm-hmm. you know, just like promoting things and whatever, but I got nothing to promote now. I got, I've, you know, everything went away after all this. So, uh, I think it would actually be good to step away, to give it up and just be a part of life again. I agree. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and Dalton, that was the last question. How do you feel? I feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it feels good to get back out and talk to people again, <laughs> do, yeah. do something. I, you know, and I, I appreciate y'all inviting me into your lovely home here and really, uh, I don't know. It feels not, I'm glad that you reached out. Like I, I'm very grateful for this because what I went through was uh, very traumatizing and it's, you know, it scared everyone else, scared me and I'm, I'm coming out of it wondering what to do now <laughs> and yeah. I'm, i just i feel very grateful yeah well i don't know if you know this but i have the litany of fear tattooed on my back so. oh okay <laughs> i fear no man no daltan no daltan yeah yeah no i mean I'm, I'm i'm glad you came out i really appreciate that you made the trek down here and you were willing to come on a podcast not knowing exactly what was it was going to be and then finding out what it was going to be and still being so forthcoming. I really appreciate all that. And I'm sure anybody watching or listening feels the same way. Yeah. No. Yeah. Thank you. I, um, I, I, it's, it's a story I would like to be able to tell at some point. I'm starting here. (laughs) I'm trying to, trying to get back out there and, you know, actually talk about it. And I, I don't want to, I'm not, it's not like I'm trying to like raise awareness for mental health or stuff like that, but I think there's value to, you know, actually talking about these things and trying to show people that, Hey, you can live even though in spite of this. Mm -hmm. That's that's, And you have time to stick around for the Patreon, right? Yeah. 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 Hell yeah. So we're about to jump on the Patreon now. And I just want to remind you guys that the Patreon is just $1. Gets you all of our exclusive content. Not only the counterpart to this podcast, Two Jack Bros, which we call Two Jack Bros After Dark, because as above is below and the Patreon is below. But you also get to see us do the fight commentary and analysis on Ansley's jiu-jitsu matches, as well as some of the stand-up stuff that I put on there with like me and Matt doing... Uh, going up after shows and doing a little uh, two-man act that we do, a little two-man improv thing that we do. I I didn't really sell that. (laughs) (laughs) My bad. But subscribe to the Patreon. One dollar gets you all of our content. Dalton, did you have anything that you want to let people know about on our way out? I have I have nothing now. I I've been stripped bare. So I mean I don't know. Follow me on Twitter. I'm not gonna look at it now. I'm off social media now. (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, I'll tell you this, man. I, um, I, I showed a lot of anger and sh- just shittiness toward my former co-host during all that. So just go support their shows. Uh, Robbie Goodwin, Mike Figs have a show called Young Guns that they're recording at Gas Digital. I don't know if they're on the network, but, uh, go watch that. And then, uh, Joe Gorman, Matt Marin, and Bobby Sheehan have a podcast called Locker Room Talk now. Mm. And um, I don't have anything right now. I'm working on something, uh, maybe. 
But well, if um, everything goes right today, you can follow Dalton on Pornhub. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was really sweet of you to promote yeah. the the stuff of of your former co-host and. Um, Oh, and I've got, uh, I just got a fight on March 26th about domestic violence. So um, looking to raise money for women um, to overcome domestic violence. So if you're looking to uh, teach these bitches how to duck, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll have stuff up on uh, Instagram and stuff soon. All right. So guys, again, thank you so much for uh, watching and listening. Definitely go out and support the Patreon. But either way, we love you guys. Thank you. Thank you. To Jack Rose, to Jack Rose.